Ben's having trouble figuring out how to get up off the couch. He's like rolling around on it like a, a weeble. <laughs> Are you sure Ben hasn't been replaced with a dog? It sounds like the opposite of a weeble, though, because like the weeble never falls down. He just can't get up. Yeah. So is that a Bealua? <laughs> this is like Kilby's area of expertise. We should ask him. Wait. Are you... Are you talking about uh, the Dracula actor? I'm sorry, what? Wait, or am I thinking of the Frank, the Frankenstein act? Oh yeah, the Dracula actor, Bela Lugosi. I don't understand how we've gotten to this point. Get us up to speed here. <laughs> Rewind this joke back. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the not a weevil, the Belua. I don't understand any of those words. You made that word up. <laughs> You're you said that word. I don't know what's going on anymore. Should I be drinking for this? This <laughs> feels like a drunk conversation I would have, but it feels like a drinking episode of Voyager. That drunk episode of Voyager. <laughs> Superhero Time presents that one episode of Star Trek. With Chris. Because there are no cows in subspace. Hey, Mickey. For hate's sake, I swallow your dying load. Scott. See, when he's happy, he goes, When he's scared, he goes, When he's angry, he goes, And Fort Max. Why the heck do you not want to fuck my wife? So what do you think of this episode? <sighs> it sure was an episode. <laughs> I I I have comments. There was some things where it made it sound. There were the way that some of the lines were. Well, the way some of the stuff was written there, it made it sound like oh, Neelix, like oh, the tree of the tree of guiding well, tree? Guiding, the guiding tree or whatever, Neelix did see it, but just no one was there. Yeah. Um, I, I, one thing I did learn about this episode, uh, or from this episode, was that Chakotay is a fucking asshole. Did, you learned it from this episode? Well, I thought he was just boring before. I didn't know he was actively an ass, though. What a hateful... I'm horrible human being he is. I, I don't know. I dispute that, but I didn't see it in this episode. Well, oh, it'll be interesting we'll when we get, get there it. to see how Scott has come to that conclusion. And if it's like, you know, Keiko's just faking being possessed by an alien entity. <laughs> yeah, maybe Scott doesn't understand acting again. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's possible Robert Beltran is just an asshole. Yeah. Uh, now, from all reports, it was just Kate Mulgrew. Yeah, that's what I've heard. I guess we're in the show, so this week on that one episode of Star Trek, uh, we're talking about Voyager, so you can stop the podcast now. Not a hoax, <laughs> not a dream, not an imaginary story. In this episode, Neelix dies. Uh, so you know what I you know what I like 
when they, they, they take the happy-go-lucky character that's full of optimism and joy, uh, who's the heart and soul of the crew, and then destroy them with existential dread. Ah, but here's the thing. This was always Neelix's character. This is just the time that the head, he said his mask peeled back the most. Ugh. And his oh, part of his face, too. <laughs> now I'm remembering that Falcon comic where they decided well, where they killed off Daniel and Wheelie because, of course, they did. I just remember that for the Teenage Mutant Ninja Nightbirds. <laughs> yeah, Neelix's character has always been fake pleasingness and happiness to hide all the darkness within. His character opens up with his entire family being murdered in front of his eyes and his race killed, his planet destroyed. I mean, essentially, Neelix has always been the 50s housewife sitcom character. Grimacing and smiling through the tears and the pain in the eyes. Uh-huh. And right. the rest of Voyager cast is too stupid to ever pick up on it. Neelix, I... is, Neelix is Lucille Ball the later years. You know what? You people are so cynical. But I have absolutely no way to dispute what you're saying. <laughs> because it's true. Because it's true. <laughs> Neelix's life is just shit on top of shit on top of shit. And now he's on the Voyager. But but, but he fell in love and, oh wait, she died. Or got transferred well, to an energy beam or whatever. After she dumped him. Oh, that's right. She got too old for him after two years old. Yeah, um, Neelix's happiness and warmth... It's a lie. Except when it isn't, and in that, well, when it isn't a lie, it exists to be taken from him. Yes. <laughs> Neil is one of the darkest characters in Star Trek, if you look beyond the surface. He has psychological issues. Not unjustifiably um, so, I mean. No. And that's why I started growing to like Neil a bit more, because I realized that, you know, oh, he's not bubbly and syrupy. He's fucked up. He's in deep, deep inescapable denial he is desperately clinging to everyone around him so they don't leave him he needs oh the illusion God. of the personality he's built around himself just in order to survive from day to day everything he's ever loved has been ripped from him therefore he'll do whatever it takes to make people like him so they want to keep him around yeah uh, I, except I, when, except for making pizza all right i'm um i'm gonna go jump off a bridge <laughs> No, 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 the reason why he hasn't made pizza is he hasn't figured out to do it yet, and that has been giving him, and that has been giving him so much stress lately, because what if they leave me over this? (laughs) What if I don't ferment the cheese correctly? (laughs) I mean, who who hasn't been there? I'll have to pick some of my chocolate substitute from the hydroponics bay. <laughs> I didn't know Voyager had a supply of carabine. Well, sure, Kess was the carabine queen. <laughs> you can tell we're doing a Voyager episode this week because we're basically doing everything except talking about the actual episode. <sighs> to be fair, don't we do that most things? Yeah, we've been doing that for eight years now. Yeah, if we could... If we can keep the pre-show like intro stuff under twenty minutes, I think we're doing well at this point. Oh no, I like having twenty-minute cold opens. Oh my gosh, <laughs> it's not even cold at that point. That's like absolute zero opens. It, it's it's reached room temperature by the end. Yeah, of I was it. gonna say the the cold open doesn't go from cold to colder. It goes from mm. cold to like lukewarm to tepid. 
Mm-hmm. Like, you take the cold open out of the fridge and put it on the counter. Then, you and know, then leave it there overnight because you forgot to put it back. Yeah. We're dethawing the show. <laughs> so the show is, is basically cottage cheese is what I'm hearing. It didn't start out that way. It, like, started out as sour cream. <laughs> oh. <laughs> But yeah, we've, and right. it's, hey, it's about as white, I can say that. <laughs> but we've left it out so long, it's become chunky. <laughs> also true. Because we're very dehydrated. <laughs> Chunk-style sour cream coming this fall. <laughs> <laughs> you like sour cream on your tacos, but it's just not chewy enough? <laughs> Dude, chunky-style sour cream by XV. I made it myself. <laughs> Oh, that's good. That's good. <laughs> yeah, that's a commercial break. <laughs> and now we're word from our sponsors. Could you like mix that over the, the Ted's Cafe jingle? Well, if I had a version that didn't have the vocals, sure. <laughs> I can mix anything over anything. I can't remember. Have you seen the Ted's Cafe jingle or, well, heard the Ted's Cafe jingle, Scott? He probably wouldn't have since they removed that from their website at some point in the last five years, sadly. It's still on YouTube. Is it? Oh, yeah. Oh, well, we should rectify this immediately before we go any further. (laughs) Could you uh, produce that for us? Let me Google that for you. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Haymakey. Let me make sure I get the right one, because there's multiple on here. Because, again, it's hey, a Here's Voyager. Mother's Day special. That's the right one. It's a Voyager <laughs> episode, so we're doing everything we can to not talk about the Voyager <laughs> episode. Yes. I mean, who can really blame us, though? That's the question. All right. Oh, it's a minute long. Okay. Yeah. Oh, the Escondito one. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I forgot it was called Ted's Con... Uh, Ted's Cafe. I always thought it was Escondido. Hey, Escondido. <laughs> we make it the way it should be. Second food. <laughs> Happened to you. <laughs> Finger jabbing into your chest. <laughs> hey! Escondido. Most dramatic thing. It's the best. Sweet Jesus. The food wasn't anything special, but the commercial is really the best part anyway. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so in this episode, it opens up with Neil. Well, apparently uh, they use it as their hold music. <laughs> that's good. Yeah. <laughs> but they had like a whole flash animation based around this on their website. It, like, when you would load the website, the first thing you would see is this flash animation with that as the background. It was great. Everyone loves a website with auto-playing noise, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Especially, like, middies, you can't, there doesn't have an off button somewhere. Ah, well, that's what ad block and element hiding is for. Yeah, but it still takes effort to, like, find it in the code and then turn it off and turn off all this and... Or, you know, just it, use a modern browser where every tab has the mute function. Or right. use an ancient browser that doesn't support noise. Ooh, <laughs> yes, I use Netflix 1.0. I use Opera. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you do. 
So the episode opens up with Neelix having Harry drink his fire nut blend. Now, when you say, you know, Harry fire nut. Oh, well, let's back well it the up point thing is, it's potent stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so we're on season four, episode 12, Mortal Coil of Voyager. And it's it is just potent Mortal Coil. Stuff. It's not Mortal Coil of Voyager. So how could Harry tell how much caffeine the drink has? Well, when his heart rate doubled in, you know, those first few seconds, that was probably a good indication. It's potent stuff. <laughs> it probably doesn't have caffeine in it. It probably actually has, like, adrenaline in it. But he, but he says it in the kind of the way that's, like, in the picture of the, how about a nice tall glass of shut the fuck up? That's potent that kind of stuff. Looking. Yeah, it has the same kind of, like, cadence to it. <laughs> So basically the, basically, the opening is like a montage of, boy, Neelix sure is invaluable to the crew. Yeah, it's a little thick. It's all a little thick. Neelix, I need you to do this thing. Oh, Neelix, only you can do this thing. But Neelix, we need you to do this. <clears throat> His life is so full and fulfilling. And that'll never change. <laughs> We're not setting this up to contrast it with something later at all. This is called storytelling, Scott. Um, it's kind of like acting, but from a different angle. <laughs> We're establishing something to later on do it's, something with it. It's like acting, but with a pen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I've always heard. I've never seen it myself, but I've always heard there's ways to do it that aren't so blindingly obvious that it's painful. But I'll, I'll take your word for it. On Voyager, I don't think so. <laughs> That's a good point. I, I I totally accept that. So what we have right now is Chekhov's Neelix. <laughs> <laughs> keep him, keep him. There's a Talaxian. Keep him. No, I do like the bit of Seven of Nine showing up saying, "I can't eat your food. This is fucking garbage." You put spices on it. There's flavors on this shit. Yeah, God. she shows up to complain that her food is not bland enough. They. So, apparently, Seven of Nine is British? <laughs> this is not bangers and mash. I'm not touching it. These green peas are not boiled into nothing. I can't eat this. <laughs> There's no blood in this blood pudding. That sounds more like a Klingon complaint. This is just tapioca that you put red food coloring in. I am now imagining Worf saying there is no blood in this blood pudding and it is amazing. <laughs> it is without honor. I've made this blood pudding with prunes instead. <laughs> the warrior's pudding. Warrior's pudding. This is like a gay porno. Oh, honey, let me tell you. <laughs> I like it when he calls me honey. As he goes to get the DVD off of his shelf. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he like walks away. DVDs? What is this, 2001? <laughs> it is a space odyssey. Alright, so... No, no, no my, the, I'm implying that it's an old one. Ah, that you've okay, had for okay. a while. Okay, yeah, that works then. Okay, so Neil's is called away from his kitchen adventures uh, to go tuck in the, the local ship's brat. Um, who, as far as ships were out to go, isn't completely obnoxious. Oh, that's because it's not season five yet. That's very true, yes. Um, but she's certainly no Molly O'Brien. No. Who is probably, like, a CGI code for cuteness. 
So, you know, it's like they put all the stuff in the AI and says, invent a, a whatever, this is stupid, let's go on. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to think of anything except for Naomi Wildman. So she's scared of monsters, and only Neelix can tuck her in because Neelix is her godfather. I'm not really clear what the point of the godfather, but whatever. Well, they, they grant wishes on the day of their daughter's wedding. See, I'm just going to say ask the Catholics, <laughs> of which you'll probably find none here. None here? <laughs> God oh. damn it, Scotch. <laughs> that wasn't me! That was XP! Don't get mad at me! That wasn't it. intentional. I mean, I was... It doesn't matter. I was pronouncing none with an E. <laughs> N-E-N? Man. Quite southern. Also, I would think in the 24th century, there's a much more effective way to convince a child there's no monsters in their bedroom. You just yeah. get a phaser and set it to wide beam and make a quick sweep through. I was going to say a hyperspray, but whatever. <laughs> night, night. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I'll wake you up with another spray in the morning. <laughs> Time for school. It's like Captain EO. <laughs> Raising kids in the 24th century is awesome. Why even bother with the hypo spray? Just replace the bed with the stasis chamber. <laughs> of course, then they'll or maybe something more up. terrifying. Like a yeah, I was going to say, is it, it's in that over in Seven's room. Fuck <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, so, did Neelix ever find any monsters? No, there was a monster within him the entire time. <laughs> so, uh, he cures Naomi Wildman's insomnia, then goes down to 709's quarters, where she, Nosferatu, comes out of the shadows to startle him. Oh, it's important, though. Neelix uh, calms down Naomi Wildman with stories of his religious beliefs. That is important, yes. yes. Uh, yeah. Think of where, it's, where you're going to go after you die. Isn't that nice? That's a very comforting so a, thing uh, right before you go to sleep, yes. It doesn't really work with some other religions, though. And then they nailed him to a thing until he died. Good night. <laughs> the other religion, it's just, it's just harder to, have, to, to make it comforting. But you don't talk about that part before bed. That's more like a, a brunch conversation. Yeah, it's like a oh, Sunday okay. morning thing. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, so... This put the question in my head, like, how creepy is it for the crew to have all this Borg technology sitting there in the dark, glowing, with a lone Borg in it? Very. So I don't think there anymore. So, okay, so when did 7 or 9 come into the series? Was it season 4? The yeah, end season of season 4. Like, well, the end of season two. 3. Well, okay, so introduced, but she joined the crew in like, episode 2, I think, I think. Okay, so this is still pretty fresh, you see. I, I still like the fact that she's still alien 7 of 9, where she's still creepy and Borgy. I, I like this version of her. I've always felt that they deborged her way too quickly. It should have been like over the span of a season. Oh, I agree. Oh, you mean like physically or emotionally? Yes, uh, physically. Uh, her oh. emotion, emotional progress is fine. Uh, I feel like she should have had more tech on her. Oh, I agree. She looks super red when she's borged out. Yeah, I think the only problem with that would just be uh, both budget and time constraints in applying the more complex well, prosthetics on a weekly basis. The real yeah. constraint is they need her as sexy as possible, as quick as possible. Well, I'm sure I'm sure Drone 7 appeals to a certain demographic. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. So, um, Neelix mentions that uh, he's looking for a cylinder, because he's going to get some proto-matter. 
And uh, he, min- he Alf only mentions the Kazon. And so I was like, oh, the Kazon. Fuck Boy, them. Yeah, they suck. <laughs> they actually make a point that we encountered, the Borg encountered them, and we didn't assimilate them because it would remove from our perfection. Holy shit, that's some shade. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the Kazon are so inferior, they weren't even assimilated. Not even the Borg wanted them. Like, is this breaking the fourth wall? <laughs> um, no, but it's definitely putting a window in it. But yeah, the Kazon were shitty villains. We get it, guys. <laughs> Don't worry. The Herogen are coming up. You'll love them. Right. <laughs> now, which ones were the Kazon? Were they the coral heads? Yes. Yes. They, were, they had feathers jammed in their heads. They were the ones that were supposed to be the Klingons of Voyager. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, to be fair, I mean, the, weren't the Ferengi supposed to be the Klingons of uh, Next TNG? generation? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Basically, I think, and the, they're supposed to have giant dicks. I think the pattern we can establish here is that they're really bad at making new Klingons. Well, first try, they get it right later on, because you know, after the Ferengi, we got the Borg, which Voyager ran into the ground. I was thinking Next Generation. Yeah. Yeah, Voyager never really did have any good villains, did it? Yeah, the captain. (laughs) 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 Uh, So one thing about Voyager, speaking of villains, is it's weird that the Gamma Quadrant, they have no civilizations like the Federation or any kind of empire at all. It's like every star system they go to is completely separate from the other ones. There's never these huge... Huh? You mean Delta Quadrant? Yes, I mean Delta Quadrant. Because the Gamma right. Quadrant kind of did have this uh, big overreaching civilization. Yeah, the Klingons, called, right? Yeah, they were called... Um, Romulans? They were, they were Swedish, I think. The Bjorg. <laughs> but but yeah, no, the Delta Quadrant is like this weird, like, lawless, Wild West backwater. It's pathetic. And they never have, like, a, 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 a consistent villain, though. It's like always a villain of the week. I mean... It's I mean, that, that makes sense, though. Yeah, they're not kinda, sticking it? around. It's kind of hard. Yeah. It's kind of hard to have a consistent villain of the week when the whole plot of the show relies on they're taking a straight line, more or less. You yeah, know, we're getting, getting the fuck out of here as quickly as possible. Yeah, yeah, but it, it's still taking you know months or years to go all the way across the Federation. I'm just saying, there's no big organization like well, that. There in the is. Discipline. I mean, there's several times when they encounter. Star Empires, and basically they say, get the fuck out, and so they've got to skirt around them. Yeah. Like, I think Year of Hell starts around that. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so Neelix has experience with proto-matter? Isn't proto-matter what the Genesis device uses? I don't know. It just sounds like made-up technobabble to me, because it's Voyager. Pretty sure it's a reference to the Genesis device, but anyway. Well, it's either not... either that or it's a thing that will let the uh, Voyager transform into a robot. No, it's protoculture. I... Oh, I, I, I like what... Fort Max's idea better. <laughs> no matter what protoculture is, it's only the MacGuffin we need to move the plot forward. It's not used for anything ever again in the episode. Yep. So, because Neelix had expertise in dealing with protomatter from when he was a traitor. Traitor. The D, not a T. Oh. Uh, him, Paris, and Chakotay head out into the shuttle to go fishing for some protomatter out in this nebula. But it's a nice effect shot, though. Yeah, it's a nice effect. Uh, 
Voyager very rarely. So has it, though it looked, it looks like it's just a still image of the shuttle being uh, dragged along. Well, I believe this is um, early in doing full CG effects. There's not like a shuttle miniature used here, so that's probably part of the problem. So let's awesome. try and beam some of the protomatter into Neelix's canister, his, his thermos. <laughs> Uh, and doing so ignites the protomatter outside the ship. Which Whoops. totally makes sense, I guess. Okay. And then somehow uh, there it weakens the shield. So that somehow weakens the shield just enough in just the right spot for a beam of protomatter to hit Neelix in the chest. He gets Whoops. he gets struck by protomatter lightning. <clears throat> I think that means he's the Flash now. <laughs> I think about Flash will be able to cook. <laughs> so Helix goes down and Parasemetic hops up and scans him and says oh shit he's dead and Chakotay's like that's great we're gonna die too get your ass in the pilot seat so at this point my wife was like she, he didn't even do anything they didn't try CPR or nothing they just like yep he's dead and then just walked away I was like yeah kinda well, I'm going to assume that the tricorder said he's fucking dead, not just like <laughs> mostly dead. Yeah, not like mostly dead. Yeah, right. I think Paris like, rattles like his off. His heart a... is missing now. <laughs> I think Paris rattles off a few things just to kind of establish. Yeah, there is no helping him. And look how quickly people die on the fucking bridge when a console explodes. Right. Well, I think usually that's the result of getting, um, you know, like shrapnel embedded in their brains. Even when it's just the sparks? Yes. Yeah, the, the sparks are actually glowing shrapnel. See, Starfleet uh, consoles don't pass the two-foot drop test. <laughs> or OSHA standards, for that matter. Space OSHA? Sposha? Sposha. So, meanwhile, like in Voyager, they get a distress call, so they go to go pick up the shuttle, because, you know, whatever, there's something important. They probably stub their toe. Uh, there's two life signs aboard. Janeway says beam them up. Uh, so I assume that means that Tuvok just beamed up the two life signs and left Neelix's corpse there? Yeah, well, that's I mean, they too. That's kind of I how the dialogue I assume that goes, they yes. weren't able to lock on to the no life sign thing. So um, maybe when they beamed up Paris and Chakotay, they said Neelix's body is there, beam that back too. Well, I mean, they bay. were pulling the shuttle into the uh, track into the shuttle bay with the tractor beams. So the dialogue does lend itself to think that yes, they only beamed up the two life signs. But the next we see, it's sick bay. Yeah, and we they smash have, cut to sick bay. Yeah, they have Neelix on the slab. So apparently, they were on that shuttle for like eighteen hours. Yes, after he died. Yeah. Why did it take them so fucking long to get to the shuttle? I don't understand how how long is this supposed to take. I guess they flew a far way away. I guess so. Just also, weird. I'm surprised they didn't dump Neelix's body. Yeah, <laughs> just blew out the back of the shuttlecraft. I mean, okay, look, he smells bad enough when he was alive. How bad do you think he's gonna smell in a day on or the inside? Two? Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I think that that after eighteen hours, it's like past rigor mortis. You're you're in gooification stage at that point. I mean, you're 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 like breaking down into base Scott. components. Well, what, let's really listen to, to the experts. Well, no, that's why I'm throwing yeah, it out so let's, there. Let's listen to Scott, the expert on uh, decomposition. 
I'm just throwing it out there. I'm just, I guess. See, I'm the expert here on Talaxian physiology. It's I've true. I've got the most experience. But no, rigor mortis is 12 to 24 hours win oh, okay. window. So and we get. If the body is stored in a place with like this room temperature, low moisture, it's not going to start rotting very fast unless there's something crazy going on with it, like some kind of flesh eating bacteria or they're full of shit and bacteria. I mean. This is a talaxine we're talking about. Yeah, and he basically got cooked, so he's probably dried out a little bit. Yeah. And I, I bet you the Starfleet air is really dry. Probably. So, yeah, he's not going to rot within 18 hours. Oh. But, well, what about, like, internal gases? Neelix probably vents those all the time anyway. <laughs> That's what I'm asking. I, I want to know if he has dead man farts when he wakes up. That's what I want to know. Not everybody does. Okay. <laughs> Anyway, so in sick bay, they're all talking about Neelix being dead, and nobody's teary-eyed at all. Mm-mm. And so Jamie says, all right, well, we'll just do, give him a Talaxian funeral. I'll go invade his quarters and ruffle through his things. He's dead. He's not going to object. So Seven walks in, recent with, Neelix is dead, right? <laughs> yeah, she just did. <laughs> That's the line. Neelix is dead. Oh, oh, okay. Thank, thanks, Seven. So she asked a few quick questions about how dead he is. And she says, okay, fine, I can fix this. Get out of the way. <laughs> and everyone's like, whoa, whoa, what, what now? <laughs> the board can raise the dead? That's alarming. <laughs> well, what did you think drones were? Is my kind of question. It's like... Cyborgs? Well, yeah, but I mean... But they're so pale. <laughs> they don't get enough sun. They're not zombies. They're totally zombies. <laughs> so, Seven shoves the doctor out of the way. Surprise, Move up, Baldy. I got him. shit. <laughs> that would have been great. <laughs> yeah. Wait, what was that? <laughs> so I'm surprised she didn't just deactivate him. Oh, yeah, she just looks at him, rolls her eyes, and deactivates him. <laughs> <laughs> so the captain's like, hold up now, before you do this, is he going to come back wrong, like Gage? <laughs> hey! Wrong Gage, Scott. Oh. Is Neil's going to come back and ask us to play with him? Oh, that Gage. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, okay. Pet Cemetery Gage. And Simmons just sort of gives a shrug, like, I don't know, whatever. Yeah, Decide what matter. I'm doing. Seven, have you ever seen the reanimator? Reanimate your feet. <laughs> well, Janeway gives the order for Seven to reanimate his dead bones. <laughs> Dramatic music plays and Seven gets to work. So we get a nice little medical montage of medical babble. And uh, basically, Neelix pops back to life. Hooray! Yeah, it's all happening pretty quick. Uh, it's still pretty creepy. Yeah. Now, I like this technology they've got on his face. He's like literally half technology, uh, half Federation, half Borg. Yes. Which is like, ew, this, is, this doesn't feel right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The thing on his, the tubes and everything does look a little too Borgy for comfort. I thought that was pretty cool. So how she's raising him from the dead is she's injecting nanomachines into him. Mm-hmm. So this is like a Metal Gear Solid plot. 
Well, I mean, he's, he's being half assimilated. Yeah. Yeah. He, it, it's kind of the same technology as assimilation. It, it really is. Yeah, he's not come back to life quite so much as he has a bunch of tiny little robots in him making his body work. Yeah, and they make that point several times that it's like, oh, without the nanobots, he would buy his body would just denecrit would just completely renecrotize, which is oh my god, it's not a thing actually. I mean, that's not a process. Yeah, his body will revert into Flogiston. Hold up, <laughs> He'll break down to his component carbon nitrogen oxygen parts. <laughs> we'll disassociate into carbon. So they feel Neil Xenon of just what they Frankenstein him with, and he's like, No, I don't want to be a Borg. <laughs> yeah. And Jamie comes in now and it's like, We don't care. We wanted you alive. <laughs> it's like I didn't want Tuvix alive. You'll be what I tell you to be. So Okay, you brought up Tuvix. Is this before or after Tuvix? After. Way after. This is way after Tuvix. Neelix has experienced death and non-existence before. This is not the first time. Uh, that's that's, that's questionable. But the entity that was Tuvix is gone, and Neelix was gone, so he's already I gone through these die, kind of... The, 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 the circle of life continues throughout all of that. Like, if I sewed XV onto your hip, and you're the uh-huh. same person while and i separated you nobody died that's not exactly how tuvix works but okay exactly also also i dispute this (laughs) if you sewed me onto scott's hip i would murder him (laughs) (laughs) well it is hip to be square buddy that's why i'd murder you <laughs> Would it be that you murder him or that his cat accidentally murdered him? Well, you know, alibis would be necessary. <laughs> no, I wasn't anywhere near this man whose hip I'm sewn to when he died. I don't know what happened to him. I was in France. <laughs> <laughs> I was in Paris, Tennessee. <laughs> well, he, he must be t- hidden he there. Must, he must be telling the truth because no one would admit to that unless they really had to. <laughs> All right. So Jamie says, "Oh, right, since we just raised you from the dead like some unholy abomination, I'm going to put you on light duty for a few days. Why don't you go to your room and take a nap, stare at the wall, and think about what you've become." Yeah, after being unconscious and dead for 18 hours, I'm sure you want to go to sleep and experience that cold <laughs> void again. <laughs> and then it's sure, like, great. okay, fine, but I'm not giving up the super awesome Talaxian holiday I've got planned. Prixus. Yeah. Life <laughs> day. <laughs> Prixmas. Prixmas. <laughs> <laughs> it's a holiday for the rest of us. <laughs> So he's wanting to give up all the fruits he's been letting ferment under his bathroom sink. <laughs> yeah, to which Janeway apparently is a lightweight, which I find hard to believe. Because all she drinks is coffee and synthahol. <laughs> yeah, none of these Federation types have any tolerance. And, yeah, they, can't hold, and they can't hold their liquor either. <laughs> Except by the lobes. So... Jamie waves goodbye to Neelix laughing, and Neelix walks into his quarters, which are dark. And this is where we find out that uh, 
Felix is kind of fucked up by this. Yeah, he starts staring at this word sculpture, and it took me forever to figure out, oh, that's that's actually a little statuette of the guiding tree he keeps in his quarters. Oh, that makes just sense. Like when he first walks in the room, he's just there, he just looks, like, destroyed. Yeah. Which you're not used to seeing Neelix look like that. True. Which, hell, that's one of the things I like about this episode, is it shows Neelix in a vacuum away from other people that you never see. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> it shows him when his mask is gone. But not his makeup, because then he'd just be Ethan Phillips. Right. So he asks his uh, religious iconography, of, you know, sister, why weren't you there? It was you, because I didn't love you. You lied to me. <laughs> you said you'd be there. You lied to me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Saban is cruising through the hallways with Tuvok, uh, having a philosophical dis- discussion about death. Now, here, here's a pairing that I don't think we ever saw nearly enough. Tuvok and Seven hanging out, being all logical and cold and emotionless. Yeah, it happened a few times in season four, but they kind of fell away from that afterward. What, what well, sucks? The, the reason for that is because of the same character. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't. If, it, but not it, like that. But like, uh, they're both kind of things from an extremely logical standpoint. Therefore, how do you have an interesting scene out of that? It also doesn't really facilitate like growing Seven's character. Yes, even in a hypothetical sense, since this is Voyager and no one's character grows, except for the Doctor. <laughs> right. Yeah, you put Data and Spock in a room together. There's not going to be a lot of interest going. You know that on. happened once. It did happen. Yes. And basically, it boiled down to, ha, oh, we're kind of like opposites, but the same, right? Yeah. And it didn't go anywhere after that because there's really nowhere to go from there. Mm. All right. Similar, you know, two o'clock and seven. We both like logic, right? Okay, let's be cold together. You agree with me? <laughs> yep. Right. Humans are stupid, right? Yep. Yep. All yeah, right. but so uh, Tuvok says, okay, so the Borg don't really fear death, right? And so, no, because our brains have been photocopied and filed away in the, in the Borg filing cabinets. So, but you're not part of the Borg anymore, right? Well, no, but my brain's still on file. Well, that must be a big comfort for you, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yes? <laughs> probably? <clears throat> Let's stop talking. I don't really know anymore. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I do like how conflicted she is about this. She kind of lets it just trail off like, yeah, it's good. Like, well, I don't... Until she, until I think it's more like it. comfort. I'm not sure what that is. <clears throat> Maybe. Yeah. She seems like, a little confused about how to feel about it. Is this a thing that <clears throat> I should be feel... Is this a thing that I should feel comfort from? What should I feel comfort from? Yeah, she just looks baffled, like, oh, shit, like, I'm thinking about things. It, or, I think, it's more like, I, is this a, an emotion? Yes? No? What? Like, just does not compute. Yeah. Alright, so let's see here. Uh, Taurus shows up for one line of dialogue, saying, I fixed the transport, you want to do this shit again? Uh, I put on forehead makeup for this. Well, she had, needs your legally. Uh, well, she needs your contractually mandated line. 
Yep, basically. It's a paycheck. So Cody says, uh, yeah, sure, why not? Let me go run some holodeck simulations. Uh, Nilix, you want to come along and watch exactly the moment that you died? That will be great. Okay. Remember what I was saying earlier? <laughs> <laughs> About Chakotay being an asshole? I don't know if this is him being intentionally an asshole. I think it's him not really considering the gravity of this for Neelix. Yes, I think he's no. just being completely insensitive. Well, I think uh, Chakotay sees his... Oh, Neelix is fine now. It's just like, you know, fixing a broken leg. Uh, Kind of not paying attention to how much this really would mess with you. Well, I don't know. He seems like he just, he so does not care. Even when it happens, he's watching this happen. At no point does it glimmer in his mind, wait, maybe this was a bad idea. At no point does he stop to consider how Neelix would feel about this. Well, Even this after is it happens, kind of the like, underpinning, oh, that's a thing. This is kind of the underpinning of the episode, which is that what we're getting is the story of Neelix's existential crisis contrasted with the almost completely homogenous Federation view of near atheism. Like, from the perspective of any Starfleet officer, being brought back to life after being dead for 18 hours would be, uh, like, a scientific marvel and something that they'd be, like, hugely relieved for. They'd get a second yeah. chance hey, after thanks. this catastrophic I injury. mean, like with the Doctor, new world record. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, so there's... The, would it be world record? Well, you know, phrasing. It's like this is because, you're right, I mean, to them, this is not a crisis of faith, it's an affirmation of faith. Yeah, so, yeah, I mean, I, I actually, I do see that point, I think it's a good one. It's just when Chakota looks over, Neelix is looking down with just this horror on his face, looking at his own <laughs> dead body. And so Chakota comes sidling up to him, gets right in his ear and goes, what? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think part of, part of the problem Neelix... in a narrative sense is that this episode introduces us to Neelix's faith for the first time, and it could be taken as Neelix hasn't exactly been super talkative with the rest of the crew about his personal beliefs, so they might not have a context of that what happened to Neelix is something that's really threatened his fundamental... Uh, I don't know. I think looking at somebody, looking at horror at an image of their own dead body at the moment of their death, and then going, what? I think that takes a bit of a psychopath. I think anybody <laughs> would kind of get maybe a fucking hint that maybe this might not be cool. So I, at this point, I can only assume that Chakotay is doing it on purpose now. What a fucker. No, he could just be completely dense. Oh. Maybe it's aggressive psychology. Jesus Christ. I'll break and you to find out what's making you tick. Neelix even described it to him. And Chakotay's just like, huh, that's weird. <laughs> He's like, Forrest, what the fuck are you talking about? He's a Native American. He's like, what are you talking about Forrest and stuff? He can't put two and two together. Trees, that's like nature and shit. That's gay. <laughs> yeah, what the hell? <laughs> oh, your god is a fern? What's wrong with you? Get back to Avatar. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking blue monkey. Anyway, so Neelix tells him the story about... um. So when I died, um, I didn't go to tree heaven. It was just nothing. Uh, my family was not there to greet me. Uh, there is no afterlife. I'm upset by this. To which Dakota responds, huh. <laughs> and that's it. Cody well, hmm? no, says, like, well, maybe you just weren't dead long enough. <laughs> Let's try it again. <laughs> <laughs> Let me 
we're scientists. We have to try this again, right? If we can bring you back over 18 hours, she said we. Oh, she and I also, I also, I, <laughs> so I also like, I also like the part of okay, let's run a uh, holodeck simulation to see if we missed anything. To see if we missed anything of the stuff that we programmed into the holodeck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It, it, no, that's actually a good point. I was thinking, it's like, what would you get out of seeing a simulation besides reading whatever data reports? Why, why do you have to see it? Exactly. What's it going to tell you? Maybe it's all just was something to mess with Neelix. Uh-huh. <laughs> let's test him. Yeah, let's see how far we can push him until he breaks. About this far. <laughs> yeah, I think we found it. So, mission accomplished, Chakotay, you dick. So Neil explicitly tells Chakotay that uh, there is no God. There is no afterlife. It's all a lie. Everything I've ever believed is a lie. And Chakotay's like, okay, let's go to the party. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. So they're at the li- at the Life Day celebration. Okay, yes. so wait, wait a minute. So let's let's pause just real quick. Um, so what is Chakotay's only defining trait in this entire series? His tattoo. tattoo. <laughs> uh-huh, which signifies his spirituality. Does no, it? it signifies his tattoo. Yeah, <laughs> it's like his rank, isn't it? It, sign- it signifies his forehead. <laughs> it signifies his left. Yeah, that's <laughs> how, so that's how he remembers. It's kind uh, of like if he yeah. talked with an accent, except it's on his face. Well, I think we, I think we've all known people that their tattoos are far more interesting than they are as people. So now he just deletes characters and then makes the body disappear unceremoniously, which sends Neelix deeper into the spiral. Yeah, that's just us. We just disappear into nothing. Oh my yep. God. <laughs> oh my God. Yes, perhaps that wasn't the most useful symbolism at this moment. Uh, way to go, Chakotay. So that's two or three things all in a row that Chakotay did to be a dick. Okay, I didn't really... Now that you mention it, yes, I do see that. Yeah, I mean, that's, yeah. That's, that is a, that's definitely a different interpretation than I was coming through this with, but, like, I can I can completely see that. So I was more focused on Neelix going through the horrors. I wasn't really paying attention to Chakotay in that scene. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's really facilitating this whole whole process. All right, so up at the, the Prixmas party, mm-hmm. uh, Tuvok delivers Neelix a speech, since Neelix is busy staring at the ground. And may I, let me, that is one Harry Ord-ass set of pajamas that Tuvok is wearing. It really kind of is. Now, I I like to say, I like all the costumes in this room, all the casual wear. I they they are They are amazing in the same way that Harry Ord's casual outfits are all amazing. Tuvok just knows Uh, the glasses. No, not quite to that level. Tuvok Who's Harry Ord? Turn a Gundam. Oh. Tuvok really just needs those wacky glasses. <laughs> yeah, he needs like yeah. Yeah, 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 like the reflective big big visor looking glasses. <laughs> Alright, so yeah, their costumes are amazing. Janeway looks like Hillary Clinton. <laughs> She's got her white <laughs> pantsuit on and everything. Better subspace communications. <laughs> She's an unsecured isolinear chip. <laughs> oh, that's oh, God. <laughs> All right, so uh, Tuvok delivers his boring speech and cuts to the end because Talaxians are full of bullshit. And Jingwei proposes a toast to Neelix for being dead and then coming back from death. 
It's like a that telex. That's great. <laughs> See, in, uh, in other places in the galaxy, him doing this would cause a religion, not cause someone to lose their religion. Sinelix <laughs> <laughs> so responds like, uh, yeah, thanks. That's great. You guys enjoy the party. And no one notices that Neelix is not Neelix. They're all looking at him and cheering and clapping and in slow motion, which is really hard to do with a bunch of people. you got to get the timing just right. Yeah. Yeah, so he's just like, yep, all right, thanks guys, fuck off. Yeah, and all of his best friends don't notice that he's acting weird. I mean, really? That's pretty normal for the Voyager crew, though. Yeah. That's true. They don't know something until they've literally run into it. <laughs> and that actually kind of makes sense from if this whole episode is told from Neelix's perspective, if he's feeling alienated and distant from everything that, you know, has just happened to him, mm-hmm. then, like, it makes sense for the rest of the crew to not be focused on him right now because he feels yeah alone and lost. Yeah, so sure. narratively, that makes sense. Even if it doesn't really make a lot of sense for the characters to act that way. Yeah. Or just like this episode showing us like the true Neelix inside, it's also showing like, yeah, this is the true state of the relationship everybody on the ship has with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe not everyone. Maybe people really don't pay attention to him. Yeah. Why should they? Because he's always there, being nice and ingratiating. Exactly. He's, he's sort of tune him out. Right. He's like the constant. You never have to worry about him because he's always in the same mood all the time. Yep. So now, of all people, to teach. Small talk and how to fit in and be friendly. Janeway tries to help Seven. Yeah, just go intrude in someone's conversation. And when the conversation stops for a moment, jump in there. It's like she's been listening to her podcast. <laughs> no, what no, you do is walk up and no. start talking over everybody and then keep talking. No, no, you need to start talking sure over no everybody. Anything, you put two words into yeah, it. You don't wait you until there's a gap in the conversation. When you have something to say, you just start talking <laughs> and you don't stop until everybody else yields. This is how conversations go. We're at a party. Aren't we having fun? <laughs> anyway, Miraposa is Spanish for butterfly. That's not relevant for it, Max. <laughs> Uh, we're the best (laughs) Uh. (laughs) and when Jingwei was saying that you knew just what was going to happen well of course that's why I did it for fucking once everyone played along In the show, and you knew that you were going to have essentially Mariposa Spanish for butterfly. And yep, there it was. It's like a reoccurrence of herpes. You know it's coming, you just don't know when. No, no, you knew it was going to <laughs> when it was going to happen, which was in the immediate shot, next shot. Yeah. <laughs> Seven was just going to walk over to the next group she saw and just <laughs> And just start stating facts at them. Right. Funny, actually, think... they just smash cut to Seven's mouth, like it's in the last word of a sentence, and everyone around her just walking away. Right. Yeah. <laughs> not, not far from what actually happened. <laughs> yeah, so uh, Seven drives away uh, Ensign Wildman, uh, who chooses to go talk to Neelix instead of Seven, which says a lot of things. <laughs> yeah. Well, Neelix doesn't really usually talk about the assimilation of children. Yeah. Not usually. I mean, he does, but not usually. Uh, but she mentions, uh, you haven't been by to talk to my daughter since you died, and she hasn't gone to sleep since, and 
She's dying. You need okay. to come see. So, is it pretty clear that Neelix is banging her, by the way? Banging the mom? Because oh, thank it's... God you went there. <laughs> oh, that's what I'm saying. It's like, oh, not once you talk you know, I mean, tuck in my daughter, the, you can tuck it me in. It wouldn't be the first essential toddler that Neelix tried to bang. Oh my god! <laughs> You're not wrong. <laughs> no, but Neelix kind of is. <laughs> yeah, cast, cast made people uncomfortable for so many reasons. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I'm totally like expecting like she's like, oh yeah, I need to come tuck in my daughter. It's like, oh, I know what's going on here. Well, I mean, he's so sleeping too. Hmm? What if it's really Neelix's daughter, but he doesn't know? <laughs> you got to pay space child support. All right, so uh, Neelix comes to talk in Naomi, and he's doing all the monster checking. And she's like, tell me that story about the thing that happens when you die. It's really <laughs> great. I want to hear more about it. I had to dream about you and Mommy being dead. <laughs> <laughs> And he was uh, like, yeah. uh, no, nah, no, nah, baby girl, you don't hear about that. That story's <laughs> stupid. Let me yeah, read you some X-Men comics. <laughs> this is called Age of Apocalypse. Strap in. <laughs> Three hours and then, later. And then strap on some pouches, because it's the 90s. <laughs> See, it was the 90s. It was a special time. All right, so Neelix has retreated back to the kitchen to do some cleaning. Uh, where is... Seven ambushes him with a tricorder. Yeah, this is where we... I think this is the part where we learned that like he has to have these constant injections of nanoprobes. Except like, for the when they've mentioned it before. Yeah, they mentioned Look that in sickbay the first time. We just kind of glossed over it. All yeah. right. Yeah, you've had an organ transplant, so we're going to put you on immunosuppressants for the rest of your life. Except these ba are nanoplastic. Yeah, except these are nanobusts that will keep every cell in your body from instantaneously decaying all at once. And they're made of seven of nine. Yep. <laughs> She's inside you. I think that's kind of backwards for how it's supposed to work. I don't know. It depends what you're into, man. Fair enough. <laughs> Resistance is futile. <laughs> yes, but friction, but friction isn't. <laughs> it just turns her on more. <laughs> it makes my nanoprobes harder. <laughs> Alright, so she's trying to scan him, and Neelix is having none of it. None, I say. Good day. Stop. And this is when it really starts to get uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah, um... Neelix just basically, the, the more Seven badgers him to let her, her scan him, uh, he, he just kind of loses his shit entirely. Like, uh, physically attacks her. Yeah, he said, you had no right to do this to me. Yeah, why did you bring me back? And she's like, because it's efficient. <laughs> he's like, you had no right to bring me back from that. So, and apparently... Well, he's, and he said, too, I never asked for this, and she just responds calmly, you were dead at the time. Right. Yeah, like how Simmons not phased by any of his histrionics. <laughs> nope. He's like, yeah, and? Okay. I, I don't care. <laughs> so, at the end of it, he kind of freaking out. And he gets all black-faced and gooey-looking, and apparently the nanoprobes were being rejected by him. So, does this mean that Neelix, through sheer force of will, can keep himself from being assimilated? Well, probably not if they were actually trying to assimilate him. 
I don't know, man. He can, he can, he can like mentally will nanoprobes to not work in his body. No, That's no, come on. Rad. He's not. He's not flocks. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it was him mentally willing it. I think that as his body amped up, uh, his immune system amped up the volume of adrenaline and shit, and yeah, through the the. The nanoprobes were neutered a little bit too. Remember? Yeah, I know. I just well, like they the didn't idea actually that... assimilate him. They're just they're doing their job. They're just yeah. they're repairing, keeping stuff running until his cells uh, are able to do it on their yeah, own. So they're not full fledged borgifying him. So therefore, that's probably why his immune system was able to attack them. Just weird though that it didn't happen until he got upset and they started talking about how he didn't want it, and then suddenly well, they stopped working. I and mean, plus, I remember that the fact that time. For once, there actually is some previous established stuff that, yeah, the immune system can reject them because that's why they had to remove most of Seven of Nine's uh, enhancements. I thought so she would actually not be connected to the collective anymore. No, once they disconnected her and her body started working for itself again, she did start rejecting some of the uh, larger implants. Ah. Well, not two of them. I think it's oh, interesting that one of her eyes is still <laughs> an implant. Well, that's because she doesn't have a real eye anymore. Yeah, I think that's interesting, though, that you don't really think about it. Yeah, because it looks like a normal normal eye. Yeah. Which is really kind of cheap, but, you know, whatever. Yeah, they could do it for her. Why not Jordy? Jordy specifically didn't want it because it would reduce his ability to see things. Well, like, they can make it look like a real eye. Just like my kids love Cinnamon Toast Crunch. And eventually they <laughs> did. I mean... No, because even his newer eyes are all like cybernetic looking. They're all blue and techy looking. Only up close. Well, those are just contacts they put on. Because they're cool. <laughs> yeah, he does have normal brown eyes. He just puts on contacts and he likes them. Well, <laughs> yeah, I, like wearing contact. I wore contacts underneath my visor all the time. Just nobody noticed. <laughs> All right, so they've adapted the nano, or the nano mm-hmm. have adapted mm-hmm. uh, to Neelix's shitty immune system. They, so they're working again. Yeah, they've modified how they work. Yeah. Uh, and so Neelix is lying in bed, and Chakotay comes to talk to him, and Neelix says, Okay, I want to talk to you now. Um, I, I need your hallucination device. <laughs> it's time for Neelix to go on a trip. So Chakotay says, oh, great. Let me consult my Indian advisor and uh, tell you what to do. <laughs> so then he goes and gets out his E-meter. <laughs> it's detecting a lot of thetans in Neelix. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> so Neelix brought his medicine pouch, which, concludes, which consists of uh, the tree statue, uh, a rose from Kessa's garden, which is not decayed at all. Well, I assume it's a freshly pulled flower from the garden uh, she well, started. Okay, that can make sense. And then some costume jewelry that his sister made at, like, summer camp. Yep. It's macrame Before she melted. So, yes. at what point did Native Americans start using this electronic device, this e-stem device instead After of, After like... Scientology took over. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, uh, yep. I got no further questions, Your Honor. <laughs> it was the same time they switched over to vaping their tobacco. <laughs> Oh shit! Okay, well, I assume I'm at done. the point when I assume at the point <laughs> when they vape. started, you know, emigrating out into space, and they needed the pilots to not be tripping balls all the time. <laughs> Just sometimes. 
Well, tripping balls in a controlled manner. Right. Oh, boy. Trip balls responsibly. Uh, <laughs> if it's if it involves trip, I might. His big blue bulge. Yes. He's going to trip over his own package. That's what we'll call him trip, because he trips over his own penis. <laughs> anyway, go on. Oh, we've all been there, Scott. Well, yeah. except for you. Yeah, not me. Um, so... Chakotay sends Neelix into a hallucination and t- go back to a time when you weren't on Voyager. Where does Neelix go? Voyager. Well, his, <laughs> so his specific instruction was to go to the place where he felt the most relaxed and contented of his life. And apparently that was uh, five hours ago in the mess hall. Yeah. yeah. What the fuck is that? Because he was so miserable there. So he says specifically, go outside the ship, go out this room and find your happy place. It, yeah, what the hell? It goes back a few hours where he's miserable? So I assume... To, to his existential crisis? I assume yeah. the intent here, because he said that Prixmas is like his favorite thing he ever does. So this is probably one from a year before, you know, when he no, had died. I know everybody's in the same clothes. costumes because they're lazy. Because replicator rations are limited. <laughs> God. Everybody, everybody only has one set of casual clothes. Except for Tom Paris, who also has Hawaiian shirts. Because of course he does. Yeah. He brought them with him. <laughs> yeah. From prison. From prison. prison uniform. Yeah. Well, then wouldn't they be New Zealand shirts? Because that's where the penal colony was. That's it. <laughs> I'm just saying, it's, you know, not, not scientifically accurate. Okay, so through the crowd, he like, sees his sister talking to Janeway. Oh god, I gotta go save my sister. <laughs> <laughs> so he makes his way through the crowd. By the time he gets to Janeway, she's gone. And he looks like, my sister, she was just here. Where'd oh yes, go? the dead girl. She was so charming. Yeah. I can see the family resemblance. Because <laughs> you look dead like her. Yeah, what the Jesus. hell? Yeah. You look, your psyche is fucked up. Oh, it gets better. Or worse. So he sees her going through the door. And so he's going to chase her. And seven stops him. You'll you be, will assimilated. be assimilated. Then Harry stops him. Potent stuff! <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love the fact that his vision quest, that is his image of Harry. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, I mean, does Harry have really anything that's about him that stands out? He didn't even have yeah. a tattoo. <laughs> well, he's kind of Asian Geordie and he has bad luck with women's. Also, he has a mm-hmm. clarinet. Yeah. Which explains why he has bad luck with women's. <laughs> not even yeah, a that's... clarinet. Yeah, not to get to causation and correlation, but yeah, that's kind of kind of on the nose. So, uh, Neelix transitions into the next step of his dream journey. Uh, the forest. The great forest. Or that's the same set they always use every, every time they're on a... That's the uh, best forest there is for Max. This is the afterlife. Get used to it. This is heaven on a soundstage. Do you think there's like ticks and rattlesnakes in the Great Forest? Yes, but they're friendly. Oh, okay. It's like Snow White and shit. You can sing and they'll they'll crawl on you. Oh, okay. (laughs) Yeah, they sing to you and shit. (laughs) So he finds a sister and she's like, this is all bullshit and you know it now. So he's like, what's the point of life? There, there is none. <laughs> Which really 
really just it's just nihilism. I mean, come on. Yeah, I mean, he can get the same message from Arby's. <laughs> and I mean, say what you will about the tenets of National Socialism, but it's just neat, though. <laughs> yeah, he can get the same message from Arby's. Or, or heck, he could even get the same message from Nilist Arby's. That, that's a that's joke for joke. Max. Yeah. No, no, the joke is, is that yeah. actual Arby's is the same. I thought that was a joke of Nihilist Arby's in the first place. Look here, the point is is that when Neelix touches her, she rots into a smoldering pile of flesh and goo. Which, which I is assume, I assume is supposed to be a depiction of what happened to his family in the war when the Metreon cascade or whatever was used. Neelix's life is so fucking dark. Yeah. So How the hell did he survive anyway? Well, he wasn't was he there at planet? the time. Oh. He just came back to a charred husk of a planet? And a sister. Yeah, he came back to Uncle Owen and Aunt Baru. <laughs> <laughs> uh. And then he went and joined the Rebellion. So, yeah, I, I just want to gloss over the it fact that... It probably makes ever big figures of uh, Charred's sister. <laughs> <laughs> the, because the seriously, why... They made other, other things that only showed up for one scene in one episode. Yeah, I don't think they made that many Voyager figures. I think Mickey owns most or all of them. There's quite a few I don't have. I don't have any Seskas. I mean, you had the opportunity, you just chose not to. I got Pulaski now. Well, everybody needs a Pulaski. The the figure of Pulaski they made when she was 30 years old, apparently. Ah. So her TOS character, then. Yeah, yeah, you could could totally pop the uh, head off of that Pulaski and put it on, like, um, Mm -hmm. I don't know, some female red shirt body. Make TOS... Pulaski. I don't know where I'm going with this. I don't either. So I just want to point out just how absolutely terrifying it is to watch his sister decay. They spent some time on those special effects. It's horrifying. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty mm-hmm. great. Yeah, this is in prime time. Yeah. Ugh. Ugh. It aired so in prime. On... It aired in prime time on a network nobody really watched, so it's fine. Right. And, and this is the point where fucking Neelix. He just that's when he snaps. He totally snaps. Yeah, uh, so he finds his own corpse talking to him. He goes nonverbal with his horror. Yeah, so then uh, then everyone starts telling Neelix, um, this is all a mistake, everything's a lie, you know what you need to do. Yeah. Fuck. So we got his own vision quest of telling him to commit suicide. Well, Either that or kill. They, no, it could be, it could be kill everyone. Well, he could no, kill those are the voices in your head. He could kill everyone <laughs> and then commit suicide. Like that's also an option. It doesn't have to be an either or thing. This isn't really like a binary situation. You know, go somewhere in the yeah, middle. But it's not it. just commit suicide because you're sad. Commit suicide because you're supposed to be dead. That's the correct manner for you to be in right now. Yeah, that's what you his vision quest it. was really telling him that he actually died out in the nebula, and what he is now is just some kind of shambling corpse that shouldn't exist anymore. Right. Something that's kind of hard for him to argue against. <laughs> yeah. Because, I mean, in context, it kind of makes <clears throat> sense. From his point of view, he could very well see himself as, well, 
my soul or spirit or whatever did depart at that point when I died, and what I am now is not actually a person anymore. Right, because he doesn't feel a soul anymore. Yeah. He feels faithless. So, phase two of Jakote being a psychopath, well, he sets Neelix up on this vision quest, sets the dials and everything in this thing, gives him the merest of warnings of how to deal with it, and then takes someone who's completely inexperienced with this kind of situation and just throws him into it with, like, no training or anything. What an asshole. And then apparently does not stick around to, like, talk in any detail about the uh, visions. Nope. He sits there and, and, and he sees Neelix snap out of it with a look of a abject horror on his face, as if he's waking up from a nightmare. And then the next scene is just Neelix walking through the ship. So Chukoti went, okay, see you later, buddy. And then that was it. Well, it worked fine for Janeway when she found her newt. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <sighs> All right. Oh so uh, from there, we cut to Neelix hunting down Seven of Nine. He's on a, he's on a, he's on a hunt. <laughs> he basically comes to tell her, it's not your fault what I'm about to do. You're cool in like, my book. And she's like, okay. Whatever. I, yeah, I know. I know it's not my fault you're going to commit suicide. I don't. No, she doesn't. Okay. She doesn't comprehend that that's what he's getting at. Yeah, I think she does. If no, she, she does, doesn't. She doesn't care. <laughs> no, that's just it. I think she does. She just doesn't care. No, I mean she does care because because uh, he has a uh, very his uh, what was the word she used? Yeah, trying to. If she cared, he she would have told somebody. He serves a diverse purpose on the ship, something like that. Yes, oh, yes. Yeah, much like a much like a sub ceiling stem bolt. <laughs> he fills in the cracks like bathroom grout. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> He molds whatever shape is needed for that moment. Like Odo. <laughs> Especially if he has Kira. <laughs> oh my. Yes. So he, he leaves Seven to be confused. Like, what the fuck was that about? And he's in the kitchen to tidy like, things up. Is there, like, trying to think of, like, is there something he needs to apologize? That, uh, is there something that I need to apologize for? <laughs> what? Did, which thing that's not my fault? <laughs> talking about. So uh, Chakoti finds Neelix down in cooking bay. In the kitchen, cooking bay, <laughs> mess hall, mess hall. Thank you. No, 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 no. It's it's the cooking bay now. <laughs> yeah, I'm alright with this. He's like, hey, faggot, you didn't show up for training this morning. <laughs> wow, <laughs> this escalated. Yeah, wow. What? <laughs> so, yeah, again, so Cody comes down here and starts ribbing. It's like, you didn't vision quest right. You're not doing it right. Hey, Neelix, you, you were failed scheduled vision... for this morning, and I went to charge you a $50 cancellation fee. Yeah. I'm sorry, yeah, but you need a 24-hour notice to cancel an appointment. <laughs> you're not handling this vision quest right. You're even failing at this. Maybe if you had a soul. Like, oh, no, I'm fine. I saw my sister in the great forest. I'm fixed now. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> Everything is so clear now. I have my purpose my purpose <laughs> in life back. I know exactly yeah. what I have to do. <laughs> so, yeah. Chakotay just walks off goes, okay, good enough for me, and then just walks off. So one thing I noticed is when Neelix takes off his, his, uh, his apron, he keeps his communicator on his apron instead of his shirt. You, I noticed that, too. Okay. 
uh, uh, then he's wearing it when he puts his coat on. So, does he have more than one communicator? Yeah, he keeps one in his apron and one in his coat. <laughs> How does the ship know which one is him? <laughs> it does it. They they had the same level of personality. Ooh. Computer, look say... at Neelix. He's somewhere. I was yeah. just going to say that he cloned the SIM card. <laughs> All right, so uh, he writes his goodbye letters, thanking Mr. Tuvok for uh, sharing his body with him that one time. <laughs> <laughs> he liked being tall. <laughs> That's awesome. He liked being tall and being uh, liked. <laughs> No, shouldn't Tuvok be thanking Neelix for the experience of being liked? Well, apparently they weren't liked enough since they murdered him. Yeah. Harsh. Yeah, that was... Hmm. Alright, so Neelix trots on down to the transporter bay, and he's gonna beam himself out into space. All right, so this is another. This is one of the points of the episode where, like, Harry Kim's was like, "Oh, someone's doing an unauthorized activation of the transporter system." Like, "Well, shut it down, then." It's like he can't. He bypassed all of our security locks. He's locked me out. Like, motherfucker, are you kidding me? He's a cook. No, Tuvok's been training him. The, uh, that that he whole just thing. Unplugged kept... the network cable from the transporter console. That whole thing pissed me off. They can't stop Neelix from doing an unauthorized transporter. Come on. You know, he did live in Tuvok's head for a while. He probably knows all kinds of, like, protocols and shit. Like, he remembers that shit. Mm. So, so what I really wanted to happen is for him to get beamed out into space because he's borged up. It doesn't kill him. <laughs> <laughs> he's just floating out there. Pissed. Let me die! <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then the ship warp away and he floats for all eternity in space. Not able to die. <laughs> Eventually, he stopped even thinking. Uh, anyway, well, that's my fantasy. Moving on. Okay, so like, ignoring all the dubious techno babble, they go jumping through hoops trying to make this scene work. Uh, yeah. Basically, it boils down to Neelix holding the transporter against his head like a pistol. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And for all the reasons that can't work and could be stopped, they just hand wave away and say... He could actually do it because it's more dramatic that way. You know what they should. Yeah, gonna... You know what they should have done if they had time to like build an extra set. Set this in an airlock. Yeah. Because like every, they just... the whole situation would be credible in an airlock because there would be some kind of like manual actuation for the outer door just in case all the systems fail. Yeah, if they could beam him right back into the ship, though, if they did that, he'd just, like turn off all the transporters and tractor beams. It'd be yeah, even there's more so many safety protocols in Star Trek. A lot of things could be solved. I just feel like if you using... didn't say that they weren't working, I just feel right. like the airlock thing would make it a there'd be less hoops to jump through to make that work than to say, you know, he's disabled all the override protocols and taken complete control of the transporter. Like, you know, you and go... somehow still hasn't, and somehow hasn't. Uh transported himself out in the time that it takes to for uh, someone to run from the bridge to the transporter room. Right. Hey, you know what's totally uninteresting? How long we go on about the technology bit of this here instead of the drama. Yeah. Right? right? Yeah, I thought that was a little weird too. So Chakotay shows up in the room to have the suicide don't jump talk with him. And Neil explains Explains what's going on. I had my vision quest. It said to kill myself, so I'm going to. <laughs> and Chikote unhelpfully says, well, it was just part one. 
Maybe part two says part one was all a lie. <laughs> the, yeah, what's I'm the point of any of these, it? I'm going to send you through these waking nightmares until we get a result that works for you. <laughs> Your life will be a constant, daily, living, waking nightmare you can't escape from. Oh, so it is just therapy. And that's different from now, from how, from my current <laughs> life, how? <laughs> Welcome to Voyager, motherfuckers. <laughs> That's just life, Neelix. Welcome to being yeah. a real person. Right. <laughs> you so, should get a tattoo, because then that'll, at least that'll give you some personality. <laughs> that'll give you a reason to live. Yeah, tattoo a personality to your face. <laughs> Jacotix. <laughs> oh. All right, so Neelix launches in a speech that, you know, um, my family was murdered, my world was killed, all in front of me. Um, the only thing that's kept me sane is the knowledge of a happy afterlife, and now I don't have that anymore. Like, literally, that's the only thing that let him go on living for all this time, he says. Yeah. So instead of instead of Chakotay saying, it's like, well, you still don't know that it's not true, maybe you don't remember because that's how the afterlife worked, it's fucking magic to begin with, or, so how you know, do you know? Even simpler than that, the afterlife knew that you were going to be brought back to life right. here. It wasn't time right. for you to go there at all yet. Yes, exactly. It wasn't your time, and the afterlife knows that. Yeah, you're exactly right. So instead of actually playing to his faith... I would assume something comfort, called the Guiding Tree would understand, you know... He's not actually well, coming thing, here yet. <laughs> I think yeah. that's back to what X was saying earlier about you know the Federation's atheist ideals that Chakotay doesn't feel the need to coddle this faith, which I think is the wrong silly. way to handle this. It like, is, yeah. it is. But I think that his way of thinking is just so natural to him that he can't comprehend that he should play to Neelix's face to make him feel better. He should try to find the logical way to make him feel better. Yeah, okay. It's Chakotay. He's the only spiritual person on the fucking ship. They make all these big comments about how he's so spiritual and everything. Counterpoint, and it's Chakotay, it and he's never written that way very well. The other, thing, not the other thing, too, is that part of Chakotay's background, if I remember correctly, is that he spent like the first half of his life not believing in his people's spiritual side. That was something he came into after his father died. So, like, it's not something that he's been actually immersed into from his childhood. It's something he's tried to learn he's on his poser. own. He's, so not, he, he's not a poser, him. but he is still kind of, like, relatively new to it himself. So they warped him. They made him Native American, but only half. Yeah, yeah. I would, I'd say that's a fair analogy. That's lame. Although, Worf was kind of more Klingon than most Klingons. Only because, well, he was more Klingon than most Klingons because Worf was modeling himself on his idealized version of what it was to be Klingon. That's yeah. actually an interesting point. Because <laughs> <laughs> even the yeah, other like, Klingons like... he met basically tell him that to his face. Yeah, it's like, like uh, immigrants who come to America who are like overly American, you know, because they only, they only yes. have like the stereotypes to play against. Yeah, 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 I can see that. That's hilarious. But yeah, the point is, Chakotay is the most spiritual person on the ship, but he's also self-taught and not very good at it. <laughs> no shit. <laughs> That's why he's got the shortcut machine for hallucinations. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, there's no actual, like, introspection. It's a machine that causes your brainwaves to collapse. Oh, great. <laughs> All right, so in the middle of the conversation, Ensign Wildman shows up because, hey, Naomi wants sleep. I need you. Why aren't you answering my hails? Why are you in here, Chakotay? What's going and on? And apparently that solves everything. Am I interrupting something? <laughs> yes, that's my favorite one. It's like, 
<laughs> no, I don't care what you have going on. It's so important. My kidneys go to sleep and mommy needs some wine and oral sex. So you get your talaxian ass up here. Uh, but see, here's kind of what I like about this, though, is that this is kind of the perfect solution to all of this. It's the perfect depressing solution. Like sometimes the only thing that keeps you from killing yourself is the, is the knowledge that you have a duty to someone else. Pretty much. You may want to die and have nothing to live for, but other people don't have that luxury. Yeah, and you have responsibilities to keep on living. Yeah, well, not they're kind yet. of working around this by making Neelix see like, look at how you killing yourself is going to affect all of us. Well, we'll have to find another cook. <laughs> that could which be a disaster. What... Which, which is one thing my wife, being a professional chef, she's like, he can't die. He's the only cook on board. <laughs> His life is precious. <laughs> I'm like, you're biased, aren't you? She said, maybe. <laughs> I mean, it must be really hard to find a chef out there, too, if they've kept Neelix all this time. Yeah. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, he he's still the best after all this time. Yeah. Yeah, and, and the best reason Neelix has to stay alive is because a girl needs monsters checked. Right. Well, that's going to be good for at least two or three more years. Or but more still, of you. That's still, that's still, that's not the message of it, though. The message <laughs> is, if you're alive, you stay alive because you have a duty. Yeah, don't stay alive for your personal fulfillment or anything. Just stay alive yeah. for other people. Right. Yep. And yeah, so he does. Close, he looks tucking her in, resigning so to the fate of a faithless existence with no hope, but he's got a job to do. And, and even like roll credits. Even, yeah, he even goes in like, oh, even seven or nine says you're useful, and she doesn't say that about everybody. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thanks, thanks, Jacote. You caught. <laughs> well, he doesn't even call her by her name. He says, even our Borg realizes how valuable you are. Yes, to our Borg. It's kind of like kind of like Picard's empath. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah, okay. Yeah, Chicote's a monster this episode. I didn't even really comprehend how fully that was the case. Yeah. Yeah, you have you yeah. have you have genuinely opened my eyes to this episode. <laughs> okay, so yeah, here's the I'm really not... weird thing about this episode that when you stop and look back at it, it did not screw up the story it was actually trying to tell. Also, and it doesn't end on a happy reset button for Neelix. Right. And it also proves that Voyager is completely deficient in a ship's counselor position. Because yes. if they had a That's... ship's counselor, the end scene of this should have been Neelix going into a like genuine therapy session instead of a vision quest. Right. Absolutely. Like, it's time oh, to start I, working I, I, I assume they had what? I were they ever stated to have had one before? I don't remember. I don't no, think they were they, because they, they were not like fully staffed because it was supposed to be a right. short mission in the first place. Right. Yep. I think they made a point of saying they didn't have a ship's counselor because of that, because it was just a one and done mission. You're going here, doing this thing and then coming back. I mean, I think the mission to the Badlands was essentially part of the uh, shakedown cruise. Hmm. Like it was early in the ship's deployment. Yeah. So, well, actually, it ends with Naomi Wildman dreaming about the afterlife. Yeah, dreaming about being dead. Yeah, yeah. which is means she's cheerful. Dead. Or also implies that um, the afterlife is only a child's dream. Well, that too. Yeah. 
Well, it's I also this episode ends so completely bleakly for Star Trek. Oh, and I think it's kind of also trying to. I think it's trying to end on a hopeful note in that, well, Neelix's faith has completely died, but he has sparked that into the next generation. Like, he, he, he's uh, made this concept live in the mind of this child. Yeah, and as long as he keeps her, keeps her terrified of monsters, he can continue that for as long as he needs to. <laughs> so if he gives her, like, a complex where she's, like, you know, terrified yeah, of monsters. It's a hopeful image. But the message, if you start and analyze it, I mean... Oh, yeah, can, I, yeah, 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 no. All I, all I can think is her sitting under that tree, she looks over and there's there's uh, his sister's skeleton laying there. <laughs> <sighs> Pile of smoldering ashes. Yeah. So there we go. I really like this episode. So do they ever mention his uh, his need for nanobots ever again? I don't think I so. I watch more Voyager to know. I don't think it comes up again. I was honestly surprised that they uh, kept the continuity of just mentioning that his lung was regenerating during the one sickbay scene. Like, right. lung singular. Yeah, yeah. Tim Buck says that the actor had to remind them of that while they were filming. <laughs> Sadly, there's precious few production notes for Voyager, so we don't really get to have those insights. <laughs> Ugh, no, but man, I mean, I'm, was... I'm actually really impressed Rough. that this kind of picked one story to tell, and it actually did it consistently and solidly all the way through. It did not do the normal Voyager thing of taking an interesting idea and fumbling it somewhere yeah. along the way. The B-plot was awesome, though. Oh, yeah, I kind of forgot oh. it had one. Did it? <laughs> nope. Okay. <laughs> yeah, because about 15 minutes in, they dropped that whole proto-matter thing because they're kind of done with why that needs to even be there. Yeah. Right. You've saved your purpose. Pretty much. Yeah. Man, that was, uh, that was fucked up. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That was, uh. <laughs> it's also one of the rare Star Trek episodes that directly addresses faith. Unless you're Deep Space yeah. Nine. Well, okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but then again, if, if that's space faith, it doesn't always seem like it's really relatable. Like, they're trying to say anything about anything going on here. I would say there's a difference between, like, in DS9, it's more about a religion as a structure and an organization. And this is more, much more personal about actual feelings. The yeah, Bajorans basically people. are the space, space Catholics, yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think that's that's not unfair. Well, yeah. space Palestinians. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Yes, let's I have mean, this discussion. <laughs> yeah, I'm not really going to dive too deep into that one, but <laughs> we're winding back to the '90s. <laughs> There's an entirely different connotation. Yeah, things have changed since then. <laughs> yeah, I just feel I feel more like it's the Space Catholics just because of like how they ended up handling uh, Kai Win. Oh, Kai Win! <laughs> we haven't done any Kai Win episodes. We should. Because she's the best bitch in Star Trek. Well, okay, so like we could do her introduction episode, which was the end of season one, where she comes on to the station to tell Keiko to not have a school that teaches Federation beliefs anymore. I don't remember like, that. Like her introduction basically is walking to the schoolroom while Keiko's trying to teach about the wormhole and saying, why aren't you talking about the prophets? Oh, yeah, I, I kind of remember that one. 
And then at some point it comes up like, okay, if you don't want to teach about the prophets, we'll just have two schools, one for the Bajoran children and one for all you heathens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, <clears throat> had she reached maximum bitch velocity in that episode? Well, that was her introduction episode, but yes. So wait, wait, which one of these was bitch school? <laughs> oh, I wish she had shown up in more than two episodes of O's. <laughs> well, at least we have the memory of, you know, naming her bitch school. Like, that's far more valuable than any actual yeah. contribution to the show she might have theoretically made. Yeah. That was the best dialogue. <laughs> 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 Scott has no idea. Nope. I wish that scene was on YouTube so we could share it with you right now. <laughs> because it, it's hilarious even out of context. <laughs> I think about that from time to time, just like us doing that podcast and me saying, no, we're calling her bitch school now. <laughs> It's one of our finer moments. Yes. Unlike the Godzilla episode. Yeah. Or episode 100. That was Shin, right? Yes. That was also us on live video. That was not the time Ben flashed the stream, though. No, that was RFC. Yes. <laughs> Which makes it so much better. Yeah. <laughs> Every time does RFC. <laughs> we sure did. <laughs> All right, so what do we have next week? DS9? Uh, yes, Move Along Home. <laughs> Little Doggies? <laughs> That's a season one episode, uh, kind of early on. I want to say within the first seven episodes? Yeah, nine, I think. Uh... Nine. Yeah, nine. Yeah, season okay. one, episode nine. Well, Move I was close. Home. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Um... So what's what's this one? What's what's cool about this one? Uh this is where um Cisco, uh Dax, Bashir, and Kira go on a LARP. Go what? On a LARP. Oh, do they? Are they live action role playing? Yes. Yep. That's what LARP means. There's All a, Moraine. There there's a D and D board and everything. Nice. Lightning <laughs> bolt, lightning bolt, lightning bolt. Phaser blast, phaser blast. <laughs> Tylenol. <laughs> <You're tired. laughs> oh my god, I forgot about that. <laughs> Holy shit, dude. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it was like, was it, was it, was it yeah, some D&D beat-em-up game. And I think it was the dwarf said that when he did his special move. <laughs> Man, that was a long time ago. That was back in the days of the original Xbox. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. All right. Good. Um, I think that's the best Voyager episode we've ever covered. Alarmingly, yes. I think it's the first Voyager episode we've covered that we didn't like just so far hate so on far. some level. That's because Neelix died in it. Yeah, that's pretty much. So I was um, tweeting a little bit about this episode a few days ago, and someone asked me why I was watching Voyager. And my response was simply, Neelix dies. <laughs> I mean, you can't really get more justification than that. Yeah, it's not like the episode where uh, Luxana has her dark shit go down. Yeah, 
Which was one of the unusual, like, actually kind of good Season 7 episodes. I Just just backtrack just a little bit. Um, What was the point of the episode we just watched? To say that religion is stupid? And fake? I... I... I mean, that seems... That seems like an easy out for what the episode's supposed to be about. I mean... I mean, Star Trek is usually positive and humanistic and and, and stuff like that. It it never really just goes bleak nihilism. I mean, that's strange. Is that that really the takeaway? Is that really the point of the episode? I have no idea what their motivation was when they were writing it. I mean, seriously. it's, It's really not a very Star Trek episode in terms of the message. No. No. Star Trek makes a conscious effort to avoid dissing religion directly. I wonder if this was supposed to be some kind of, like, you know, suicide prevention message episode. Possibly, yeah. Like, like there's always something left to live for. Even when when all your ideals and beliefs have been stripped away from you. You still can't commit suicide. (laughs) It's it's an anti-youth in Asia episode. Oh, okay. Seems so strange. <laughs> it is kind of, yeah. <laughs> this episode underwent numerous rewrites. Although the episode does not credit her for her work, freelance writer Kathy Hawkinson pitched the premise that would eventually develop into this installment. Her original idea involved a death fetishist with an immortal regenerating body who, merely for fun, repeatedly fooled the doctor into killing him. That sounds awesome. That the does members... sound amazing. I wonder why they didn't do that episode. <laughs> the members of Star Trek Voyager's writing staff immediately found this plot concept appealing, thinking it was, quote, interesting Are and Are you sure weird. they didn't mean to say appalling? <laughs> they subsequently began to contemplate its primary theme of death, wondering how both they could do an unusual spin on a near-death experience and exactly how the revived person would be brought back to life. So, okay, that's great, and they clearly did not do that. Yeah. So, yeah, what the fuck happened? That actually sounded weird and interesting. <laughs> and an alien point of view of death, because that would be neat to see. How but do aliens... they had to be about Neelix. Yeah. Being all boo-hoo, life is meaningless. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody loves me. Well, we should we... become like emo Neelix with his hair down in front of his eyes. Oh my god, yes. He comes his eyebrows down. <laughs> and dyes them black. Yes. yes. <laughs> Like Tammy Faye Baker at that point. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah, boy, yeah. There's, I'm looking at Memory Alpha, obviously, right. uh, trying to figure out what the hell they were thinking. The writing staff subsequently rebroke the story, <laughs> at which it was decided that Chakotay would be the person who was revived from death, influencing him to subsequently question his Native American beliefs. But then they realized oh, that would take away his idea. only character trait, and so they abandoned that. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, at one point in this episode, 7 of 9 describes the Kazon as having been rejected for possible assimilation by the Borg on the grounds that they would have, quoted, detracted from perfection. <laughs> this may or may not have been an in-joke by the producers, based on comments made by Jerry Taylor, uh, that she had never really liked the Kazon as a major enemy for Voyager, regarding having used him so heavily, blah, 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 blah. Can you imagine trying to incorporate the Kazon headpieces into the Borg makeup? <laughs> They'd shave them off. They'd clip them off. <laughs> Grind Snap them away. Them off like coral. Yeah. Stump grinders. Yeah. 
Yeah. Wow. Oh, this installment was Brian Fuller's favorite from the episodes that he wrote during Voyager's fourth season. You're a sick fuck, Brian Fuller. <laughs> <laughs> Just uh, put that out there. It's my favorite, too, of the fourth season. <laughs> Yeah, let's just let's see what it has to compete with in the fourth season. Um, the episode where Kess ascends. That's uh, yeah, sure. Bad. Oh, you got to listen to this quote from Brian Fuller though. He also believed that Neelix's predicament here could be universe universally related to and appreciated. What? What would be worse? Fuller rhetorically asked. Than having your own dead grandmother come back and say, "You know, there is no God. This is all a figment of your imagination. You're going to die. And there's nothing after you disappear, and that's it. See ya." So that one, I think, really speaks to many fears. And in a way, that's what Star Trek does best. It turns a secular element that runs through everyone's lives on its ear and tells it in a different way that you can appreciate. But you won't be offended by it. Um, no? I think he was high. Dude, none of that is right. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I say this as a, a, you know, I'm very atheist and and, and very scientific and not spiritual at all. But dude, what the fuck, man? (laughs) (laughs) It'd be very easy to interpret this episode as very offensive. Yeah, yeah. I would say he believed Neelix's predicament could be universally related to and appreciated. Who can relate to being dead for eighteen hours and coming back? Okay, so season four also had Year of Hell, the two-parter, which which really isn't that good. It's probably more it's unique, concept than execution. But it's not yeah. very good. Um. That's one with the crinum, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. The episode where Tom and Boana were stuck outside in spacesuits the whole time. Yeah, a bottle episode. Oh, the Omega Directive. So stupid. Yeah, so I'm going to say season four really wasn't that great, so this probably didn't have a very stiff competition. <laughs> but it did have a stiff in it. nice stiff competition about dead people really you get mad at me for puns hey I just say the words that come out of my mouth I don't know what any of them mean (laughs) you can be a politician (laughs) I'm not that evil another staff writer who was, who was pleased with the episode's final form was Joe Minoski. At the end of the fourth season, he raved. It's my favorite episode of the year. I think Mortal Coil was very, very successful, darkly strange and magical and melancholy and very affecting. What is wrong with you people? <laughs> they worked on I mean, Voyager. There, there's nothing redeeming about this episode at all. No, you have to think, so they're, they're like four years into Voyager working under, you know, UPN... They got, you know, all the network oversight and stuff. You have to assume they're miserable by this point. Yeah, they're probably trying to find reasons to stay alive, too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's uh, there's nothing redeeming about this episode. This is just one of those episodes like, this is just awful. There's nothing, no good came out of this. And yet it was a good episode. Was it? I mean, for us or like for real? <laughs> I think for real it is a good episode. Is it a good really? episode of Star Trek? Probably not. But it's I think it's a good episode, good of, episode of Voyager. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. I mean, you have to kind of measure it in context. I guess. Voyager I mean, doesn't it... exist in a vacuum, Scott. 
<laughs> yes, it does. It's in space. <laughs> well, no, Asshole. no, no. Uh, some episodes it does land on a planet and then it's not in the vacuum. <laughs> and then it's stuffy. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, yeah. it's a good TV story. And yeah, I agree. It maybe doesn't fit in with Star Trek as such, but like, it's. Voyager did not fumble this story concept like it does most others, and therefore it's a good episode of Voyager. You know what? I, I will give you that. They did follow through with it. They didn't half-ass it. They they actually explored it through to its basic its its conclusion. As unsatisfying as it was, they did. And I, I think you're right. They deserve props. For and they also they tapped into some it. different looks at, you know, Neelix and I guess unintentionally Chakotay. <laughs> you know, they yeah, I mean, yeah. it did some good things. Which is more than you can say for most Voyager episodes. All true. At least it was interesting. Yeah. So, all right. Yeah, I'll give you that. I'll give it a net positive, I guess, considering all of those factors. I mean, I think this is the first Voyager episode we've come away from without cursing. Or laughing at it. Well, no, we kind of did that. Well. <laughs> at, at points. Yeah. It's the first Voyager episode we've done where we've come away not hating ourselves that much more for having watched it. Yeah, I just hate Chakotay more. It's the, the yeah. that much more part that's important in that sentence. Cause... <laughs> yes. I choose my words carefully. And then swallow. Oh my god. You don't want to choose your words before swallowing them. <laughs> don't you? you? to choose them 32 times. <laughs> don't swallow Alrighty. your words whole. You'll choke. <laughs> Or go swimming after using your words. For at least an hour. Oh, hey, did you guys see uh, any, any of that new Discovery news where they, like, redesigned the spaceship? No. The no. Discovery? No. What, again? Yeah, it's, yes, they, they redesigned it again. What? I kind of liked what it was. Well, a lot of people did. Um, What's going on with the show? That's a good question. They're making one. When it's done, we'll get to see it. In like yeah. a month? Mm-hmm. Which is cool. I mean, it, it's going to be interesting. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. Are you looking for the pictures of the new ship? Yeah, I'm looking at ship pictures. Are you, are you going to share? I've I got to find good ones. You're not being uh, very helpful. No. <laughs> no. Why would I be? Let's see. So, let's see here. So here is da, 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 kind of what it looked like originally. Real blocky. That's not helpful. I know what it looked like originally. Right. Okay. Settle down. Also, this doesn't really address the version that has the cutouts in the saucer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the one with the cutouts. Let's see. What, I saw some really good pictures of it. Well, I mean, going? we saw that a few weeks ago. Did they do something more to it since then? Yeah, now the nacelles are like three times longer. It looks really strange. Well, they're finding a new way to fly. I guess so. Damn it. Well, I found all these new pictures, and now I can't find any. No, whatever. You don't care that much anyway, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> You'll see it on screen. But yeah, it's weird, because now it's like it's gray and silver. It's got those weird cutouts around the ring, and the warp nacelles are like three times as long as the ship, and they go backwards instead of forwards. So it looks, it looks a lot sleeker, a lot more... Uh, a lot faster, uh, a lot less sturdy. Did they put a spoiler on it? Because the other makes it to go be faster. Fair, do many Starfleet ships look sturdy? No. 
Um, that's why they came up with the fi- that's why they came up with the uh, fiction of the structural integrity field because like they knew when they were designing true. it that it doesn't look like it's uh, structurally capable. Yeah, yeah, all true. Like that was true. that was one of the, the actual things of designing the Enterprise for next generation. They got some distance through it and decided, you know, the way this is laid out and the size we're pretending it is, this thing would fall apart. Instead, it's held together by force fields. Yeah, that's... Yeah. Well, say so what you will. Power flickers, you're fucked. Say what you will, but that is a very Starfleet philosophy. Okay, I believe those warp engines are just going into warp, so they're stretching out behind well, it. Well, this is... No, this is just one image. There's other images where it's just sitting there static, and they are that long. I know it looks that way, because uh, of the image, because of the, the artsiness of the image, but it is actually... They actually go back like three times the length of the ship. Uh, I'm liking this revision quite a bit. It's cr- it's creating a lot of the proportional problems I had with it. Yeah, it's not as stubby. It, like I said, it looks longer. The the saucer section looks at the right size compared to the engineering hull. Right, right. I still think the saucer looks a little bit small in relation. It looks, but... it looks better though. Oh yeah, I'm not saying it looks bad, but like in general ship design terms, it looks a little bit small. Uh, like Kind of like the proportions of an Excelsior saucer to the rest of the ship. Yes. But that works because the Excelsior is a good design. Yeah, and that's what uh, I was watching other people talk about the the ship. And yeah, they kind of mentioned that. It got that kind of Excelsior kind of long, elongated feel to it. Which is fine, because yeah, the Excelsior is great. Which great again, ship. this is like if the Klingons bootlegged an Excelsior. Kind of, sort of. Uh, but I think the whole thing with it being like Klingon-inspired design has been kind of debunked. Well, it uh, still looks like that, though. Oh, right, right, right. I'm just saying as far as the plot goes. Uh-huh. Uh, so, yeah, it's well, a, we're like, not lucky like, enough to have a plot that's good enough uh, to where we're actually looking at like a hybrid Federation Klingon starship. Yeah, that because that would be interesting. Yeah. Well, it has the potential to be really interesting. I don't see a hybrid like Federation Romulan thing. It's like two saucer sections connected by warp nacelles. <laughs> oh my god. Well, that's okay. So, like, you could have that. Just uh, start with a Nebula class starship and put another saucer on the bottom. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's basically. And then, like, the a big thing. deflector dish thing right in the center for the nose. Well, the Nebula has a big deflector dish right there. Doesn't it? No, the deflector no. dish is in the, the engineering hull that's strapped to the top of it, isn't it? Um, no, no, Nebula? No, it's underneath, just like the Galaxy class. It's seven, the neck is a lot shorter. Yeah, okay. basic, I... yeah, basically, like, take the engineering hull and just, like, jam it right up under the saucer. Right, oh, yeah. that's what a Nebula class is. <laughs> yeah. That's the way I like to do it. We know, actually. And then yeah, it's got the that's um, a Nebula class. It, yeah, it's got the the sensor platform on top, like a big spoiler to make it go right. faster. That's right. Yep. Yeah. It or stripes. you can or you can switch it up for a weapons pod, which is cool too, like just, a torpedo launcher. Just like a runabout. I would not send a Nebula class into battle. Why not? It's almost as it's as badass as a Galaxy class. Almost, it's only slightly smaller. How's the Galaxy class badass? It's like the matchstick ship. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, a okay, Galaxy well, class like, is not really a badass ship. It's more of a... Uh, it's a combination of the Titanic and Tokyo. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> I was going to so say it's, it's a, more of a figurehead. 
I was gonna say it's an oil oil soaked rag flying through space, is what you're telling me. Yes. Okay. All right. <laughs> Look, the galaxy uh, class is great when you take the saucer section off of it. Oh uh, yeah. Because well, I mean, there's nothing better than a topless ship. Yeah. Ooh. I think we can all agree. I mean, that. Ships that don't blow up very often. You you're on an Excelsior, or an Oberth. Oh, that's great! Somebody actually wanting an Oberth. <laughs> well, yeah, every every ship needs a shuttlecraft. 